You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. I am, of course, excited about today. It has been a day for me. Thursdays genuinely are. It's the beginning of the new school week. So all the work that was due on Wednesday night at like 2 a.m. here because it's midnight in Phoenix when my schoolwork is done. All of that has come to a close. So the new week opens up. And Thursday is the day that I put a majority of my clients that I meet and it has been particularly an amazing day because it seems like everyone is going in a really awesome direction. And because of this, it's given me an opportunity to reflect on watching how they've all grown over the last few months or in some cases uh, the year to be able to notice people's internal growth and how they begin to externalize it, um, exude it, and really take it on as a new way of being. And if that's something that you have been looking for, if you've been sober for just a smidge bit or for quite some time, but you're looking in the mirror and you're still not quite happy with what's looking back at you, then I would highly recommend you go to jessemogul.com slash ask me, fill out one of the forms for coaching. It'll get into my inbox and I'll reach out to you post haste. Obviously, I enjoy <laughs> to say that I enjoy what I'm doing would be an understatement. I got to teach neuro-linguistic programming today to some amazing students, and I got to dive into meta programs and personality uh, traits that are all existing underneath the surface. And it's just, it's been a great day for me. And this is an awesome opportunity to bring back something I discussed, I believe, in episode 140. It was right before the masks we wear episode, which I do believe was 141. And um, here we are in the 230s, and we're going to bring back something that I discussed more than likely last year, but I don't know if I gave it its own episode. So we're going to give it its own episode again. If you want to go back and hear how I talked about it two years ago, I went back and listened to some of it. I'm not very particularly thrilled with the way um, I discussed it. I just didn't seem as excited as I should have been. So now I'm bringing the excitement. And what we're going to discuss today is New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Now, I want to give you a little pre-frame about where this is going to go. A lot of people put a tremendous amount of pressure on New Year's resolutions. And I know for many of you, you may have gotten sober on that date. I've certainly met I have many a person who that's the one date that I when I hear, I'm like, hey, they made that a New Year's resolution and stuck with it. For me, I had no intention of getting sober on January 1st of 2017. I'm not even quite sure that I meant to get sober on January 13th of 2017. The shit tub and the what I presumed was a heart attack on January 12th, that's what led to the whole thing. Uh, just of looking in the mirror and being disgusted with the monster looking back. That's what led me to just say, that's it. We're done. We're, we're done. Now, had I tried to quit 20 times previously? Yes, just like many of us have. And what I ultimately realized is that I had to really, really, really want this. It had to be a change that I was just no longer going to accept from myself not to achieve. So what we're going to discuss in this episode is how we can utilize the next 60 days to begin to make massive changes in our lives by realizing that January 1st is just a day. And in fact, I'm pretty sure this year it's just a normal Tuesday morning and putting a lot of pressure on 
one day, to be the day that you're going to make all of these changes, is asking a lot of your brain that has habituated so many behaviors that have led you to this position in your life. If you sleep too much, if you play on your phone too much, if you drink too much, if you do too many drugs, you have created hundreds and hundreds and thousands of habits that lead you back to the same place day in and day out. I know it might sound preposterous to think that you would have thousands of habits, but could it be something as simple as checking your wallet to make sure you have enough money for booze at the liquor store when you leave work to staying at a job that no longer suits you because that is what is allowing you to have the freedom to drink and do drugs or whatever it is you're doing too much. And then within that job, to maintain that employment, you've created hundreds of habits that allow you to have that kind of stability at work, that allow you to continue doing the things in your life that you've already decided you're sick and tired of doing. And that's just one example of where you could begin to build up hundreds of habits. You could have hundreds of habits at school for how you're able to manipulate your schedule so that you can drink five nights a week and still somewhat make it to class. God knows I did. I had hundreds of habits that allowed me to to get C's because C's get degrees and I was just hell bent on drinking every single night. So don't let anything get in the way of that. So I built up hundreds of habits at my job and hundreds of habits at home and hundreds of habits at school to maintain my status quo. But we aren't listening to this show to maintain status quo. So we're going to discuss how you're passing the years off how December 1st is the beginning of 2024, and how 2023 ends on February 1st. We're giving ourselves this 60-day window so that we don't put a tremendous amount of pressure on Tuesday morning, January 1st of 2024, because it's just a Tuesday. The planet doesn't know anything about this. It might feel the rumbling of all the fireworks that night, but aside from that, it's just another spin and another, you know, one 365th of a degree around the sun. That's all it is to the planet. We as humans have put a substantial amount of pressure on that day, and I want to help you alleviate that pressure. Now, a couple of things that I want to bring in from various areas where I've gathered up information to discuss this today. Um, I'm watching this TV show called Travelers, and I'm also watching another one called Good Place. And I have this thing where I just I hear things that I want to talk about no matter what I'm doing. And one of the things that the travelers, it was just part of their dialogue in a TV show. It was, a, it was just a sentence. But one of the sentences that stuck out was, most belief systems are just a shared vocabulary for people searching for meaning. Most belief systems are just a shared vocabulary for people searching for meaning. We know as humans that we are meaning-making machines, that we take in information and we make it mean what we want it to mean. Our brains are very good at manipulating us back to base one, back to square one each and every time. If we want something to mean something, we will find a way for it to mean that. And the belief systems it's referencing in there is anything that you believe. It becomes this shared vocabulary. It could be your automatic negative thoughts of why you're a loser or why you're not confident or why you don't deserve love, why you don't deserve stability. That could be your belief system. And then you're just using a lot, if not many, if not all, of the same words that other people who also think about that and think about themselves in that way. 
a shared belief system, you know, you start looking at uh, a religion. It could be any of the big ones, right? That's a shared belief system. There is vernacular. There is vocabulary that anybody who's a Catholic or a Protestant or a Christian or into Judaism or Hinduism or Islamic, any one of them is going to have a shared vocabulary for that shared belief system as they're searching for meaning. Even in this show, I have very particular words that I repeat over and over and over again that become a part of the shared vocabulary. When I'm around listeners of the show long enough, they start to say things that I absolutely recognize and will even chuckle about it. They'll be like, yep, that came from you. And I'm like, awesome, because that means that this is working. That that means that we're literally programming our brain to be a different person. If you have a belief system that is no longer working for you, then you want to begin to change your vocabulary so that then you begin to share a vocabulary with people who have a different belief system. If you want to be successful at business, don't be hanging around people who have tons of failed businesses in their wake. You want to go be around people who believe that they can succeed in business They have a shared vocabulary around that belief system, and it'll begin to infiltrate into your brain and become part of who you are. It works the same way with sobriety and recovery. Keep hanging out with a bunch of addicts. You're going to be using the same vocabulary. You're going to be watching them do the same behaviors, and you're going to be expecting yourself not to be enticed to go back. That's ludicrous. At some point, the monster awakens, grabs a hold of the wheel, and before you know it, you're you're on a five-day bender, and your bank account's at zero, and your nose is bleeding. I'm not saying that that's a true story of mine, but it potentially could have been. You want to start shifting your belief system around your sobriety and recovery. You go be around people who have sobriety and recovery. We could be couple weeks. It could be a couple months. Any meeting you go to, there is a shared vocabulary there. It's a belief system that everybody is subscribed to because they feel that if they start to follow the directions of this new belief system, that they will become this new person. But it's going to take action. And that's where this really cool um, quote from The Good Place came in. And you can find both of these on Netflix, by the way, if you care that much to watch shows that I watch. But I'm, I don't know. I chose The Travelers in Good Place because I just wanted to rewatch shows I already watched. And just at night, I'm allotted at least an hour, max one and a half hour of television to unwind. So genuinely, if you're ever wondering what I'm doing between 1 and 2.30 in the morning or 2 and 3.30 in the morning, it would be watching The Good Place and The Travelers. <laughs> And sometimes I fall asleep on the couch and I don't even get 10 minutes in. But either way, I give myself permission to watch a little TV at the end of the night. And in The Good Place, there was a really cool quote um, where Chidi's talking to, um, oh, I forget, how did I just forget Kristen Bell's character's name? But anyways, he goes, principles aren't principles when you pick and choose to follow them. Principles aren't principles when you pick and choose to follow them. If it's a principle, it's something that you adhere to. It's something that you believe in. Going back to the belief system and a shared vocabulary. We're sharing a vocabulary, we're shifting our belief systems, and we're adopting new principles. But if you're going to be a person of integrity or humility or gratitude, 
You're going to have a growth mindset. You're going to be decisive. You're going to cultivate courage. You're going to take action, embracing discipline, exercising flexibility, embodying tenaciousness. If you're going to adhere to these principles, then you're looking for consistency in these principles and the following of them. I was talking to another client today and, um, They are involved in the addiction world, but not necessarily they themselves. But the person we were referencing in this conversation um, was getting slightly perturbed about hearing the word consistency um, consistently from her mouth. And that's the thing, is that regardless of whether you're the sober person or you're just the person without the addiction issue in the family, seeking to help the person with the addiction issue in the family, or you're the addicted who is calling upon other people, other family members to assist them. Either way, there's going to be a consistency in the actions that have led us here and a consistency in actions that will lead us out of here. There is always habits that got us where we are. It's in the consistency of doing different things that we will begin to consistently see changes in our lives. When I first learned to become a CRSS, one of the things that the teacher taught us, he's like, if one person is sick in the family, the whole family is sick. And it doesn't mean that everybody in the family has an addiction issue, but they've all got some level of um, enabling, or they've all got some level of sadness, or some level of anger, some level of frustration, some emotions that have yet to be resolved, that are still unhealed. And everybody needs to be working on themselves in order for the entire family unit to heal. This is why it's awesome that we can send people into addiction recovery centers, but when the rest of the family or the social circle that's going to interact with the substance user, when they get out and they are now into their sobriety, if they have not been seeking new ways of healing themselves and resolving their anger or their frustration or their lack of trust with the now newly sober person, then their behavior towards that person could actually work against their long-term sobriety and recovery. This is why everyone is going to want to participate in the personal growth and development that comes from having a family member, a loved one, a best friend, a spouse, whomever, stepping into sobriety and recovery. If they do it on their own and come out and everyone's still behaving the same way and treating them similarly, if not the same way, then there isn't the forgiveness. There isn't the openness and the vulnerability opportunities that we're seeking. And I know this can be a lot, and I'm getting very heavy very quick, but it's the end of the year, fuck it, let's just drive our car straight into the madness. Because this is what's happening in our society. We have decided that mental health is so important that we have people who normally would have kept that stuff hidden that are now stepping out and saying, I too have a mental health issue that I'm seeking healing from. And now we're finally finding a society who's willing to have these conversations. But we've been having these issues with our society in the shadows, in the darkness for centuries. It's just now at the forefront and something that people are willing to talk about and open up about. So when we start to discuss shifting our belief systems about who we are, it starts with shifting our vocabulary about how we talk about ourselves, how we talk about other people, how we just talk in general. I've unconsciously been seeking to program new ways of discussing things into your mind for 230 some episodes. 
not to be diabolical, but because I know from (laughs) continuous research that our words have power. It might only be 7% of the way that we build rapport, but I'll tell you what, that's a damn powerful 7%. And when we start to shift our belief systems and our vocabulary, we're going to begin to adopt new morals, ethics, values, opinions, beliefs, principles, standards of habits. And we don't just get to pick and choose when we follow those, when we do those, when we believe in those. If we decide that a principle is to be honest, then we have to seek honesty at every turn. And yes, the philosopher Kant, I think his first name might be Joseph. I'm not quite up to date on all of my philosophize this podcast episodes, but The Good Place talks a lot about Kant, talks about that there's never a good time to lie. But that's subjective to perspective, right? If somebody calls you up and they're in tears and they're like, oh my God, my my kitty ran away. Do you have time to talk right now? And you're in the middle of something very important. You might want to lie and say, no, I've got all the time in the world. Let's talk about your kitty right now because you want to be there for somebody. So where you pick and choose your level of honesty, if that's one of your principles, Kant would say, follow it, tried and true. And other people might say, well, I mean, if somebody's crying about their cat, maybe we bend it a little bit. This is where you have to know where you can be subjective. This is where you have to take context and the meaning of what it is you're saying or doing into account. But we're looking for consistency, not perfection. This doesn't have to be a constant. It has to be a progressive movement toward, toward who we seek to be. And I'm going to get over into the baton passing off part of this episode right now. But first, uh, one of the clients, and again, um, I love my clients. It's just fantastic growth. And one of them, we were talking about leadership. We were seeking to help uh, guide him towards feeling grounded in a new job interview. And at the very end of our session together, um, he read off this quote about what a leader is. And I was like, dude, I got to record that. I got to talk about that on the podcast. And the reason why I think this is powerful is because you are the leader of your life. No one will care as much about your progress and your growth and your movement in sobriety and recovery or your job or your physical health or any of those things as much as you will. There might be an ebb and flow to that where somebody else cares a lot about your health or your sobriety in the moment when maybe you care less about it. But when we're looking for consistency, you must begin to accept that you are responsible for your behaviors. Personal responsibility doesn't blame others for what's going on. We don't, we don't blame, we don't complain, we don't make excuses. Complaining, oh, well, the person did that. That's why I did this. No, 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 no. We're not looking for excuses. We're not looking for complaints. And we're not looking for blaming. We're looking to take on personal responsibility. That's what a leader does. Peyton Manning stands up on the podium. He's a football player, for those of you who don't pay attention to the pigskin, and says, hey, I need to do better in order for the team to win. He may have thrown for 400 yards and four touchdowns, but that last pass bounced off a receiver's fingers, was returned for a pick six, and he lost the game. And he may have thrown that ball as perfect as he ever possibly could throw it. But then he gets up on that podium and says, I can do better. That's a person taking on personal responsibility. That even when they know deep down inside that they did everything to the best of their ability in that moment, we still didn't get the outcome that we desire, which means there's still more left in me to push myself further, to push myself harder, to be more dedicated. 
I'm not seeking everybody to be an accomplishment machine here. We don't need to wake up every single day and have, I must do this. I must, every moment of my life, I must feel like I'm accomplishing something. Right? We're not looking for like Donkey Kong hysteria here when it comes to accomplishments. Even the slightest little step forward, even one little degree, can be massive change when we begin to stack those days up, when we begin to stack up these little one-inch progressions forward. I'd rather take a one step forward every single day for 10,000 days than wait 10,000 days standing still and then take all of those steps in one giant leap. I saw a book title whenever I was in New York City over the Thanksgiving holiday. and it was I think it was called, uh, was it 4,000 Weeks? And I did some quick math and realized that 4,000 weeks, I'm pretty sure, I'm not going to sit here and try to be perfect about this, but I'm pretty sure that's 80 years. And what took me aback from that, yeah, because what would it be, 520 weeks would be um, 10 years, right? So you're looking at, yeah, about 4,000 would get you to about 80 and so I thought, wow, that's really all we get in life? Let's just assume we can all live to be 80. That's only 4,000 weeks. That doesn't sound like a lot. But when you realize that there's 1,040 weeks in 10 years, that's quite some time. So what could you think you could accomplish if you put forth some effort each and every day to begin to move the needle forward? Because this is something I've told myself for years, either way, the day is going to pass. Either way, time is going to move forward. And as we start getting into this baton conversation, I feel like I've cheerleaded you all enough at this point. Uh, There's something else I wrote in here that I really want to make sure that I say. Um, This is something that I wholeheartedly believe. And this is something that I follow each and every day when it comes to feeling like I'm doing something Okay, what's the easiest way? First, let me just say it. Let me just spit this out. Come on, breathe a little bit, Jesse. I know it's 11 o'clock at night and you've been up since 7 a.m., but you focus up, buddy. Focus up. All right, here it is. This is it. If you got a pen and a pad, maybe write this down. It's a little bit about delayed gratification, it's a little bit about impulse control. It's absolutely a mantra I repeat to myself quite frequently. It's, I won't remember today in a week, perhaps even in a month. So do something today I may not like for the satisfaction of that success then. I'll repeat it. I won't remember today in a week or even in a month. So do something today I don't like for the satisfaction of that success then. So let me explain what I mean by this, right? Like I have this thing where it's like, yeah, New York City. We went and walked around New York City on Saturday, and I really wanted to pay my respects to 9-11, to the Ground Zero, to the World Trade Centers. It was 37 degrees. Now, everybody else that was with me, other than Grandma, she, we all, they all went to a coffee shop. But I stood out there in the cold with Grandma and just paid my respects to the hallowed ground. I won't necessarily remember. I might remember being cold. Like, oh yeah, it was pretty cold. I was wearing five layers up top and three layers down below. But to actually viscerally feel the coldness right now while I'm in the warmth of my office with little space heater running, I I don't feel that coldness anymore. But I will always have that memory of paying my respects to the World Trade Center for spreading some of my mom's ashes at the base of it. 
being able to say, love you, mom, and, and spreading some ash there, because I know that that was a very heart-wrenching time for her, just as much as it was for me experiencing that with the rest of the country. I will always remember that moment of being there with her and spreading some of her ashes. Well, I remember the cold, like, again, it's a memory of cold, but the feeling of cold, that's gone. But I have that moment. Let's throw out another example. I'm pretty firm on my um, personal fitness habits. I want to achieve certain things. I really enjoy sugar. Like, really enjoy it. I enjoy cheesecake. I enjoy cake cake. I enjoy ice cream. I enjoy protein bars that taste like candy bars. I enjoy sugar. But I will bypass eating the sugar for a week, two weeks, a month in order to have the satisfaction of making weight or, or uh, lifting five more pounds in every one of my exercises after a month of really paying attention. I may not necessarily be thrilled that I don't get to go eat a pint of Halo Top tonight. That would be awesome. It's only 350 calories. But if I'm seeking to achieve something, then I will do something right now that is going to cause me to feel potentially restricted, potentially like, I, I want to, you know, you what is it, YOLO, you only live once. I'm not restricting myself from anything. Well, you can YOLO the hell out of yourself if you want. And then you're going to look back at yourself in a year or two and be like, oh, why don't I have this body I wanted or this emotional intelligence I desire? Why haven't I gained this new knowledge? It's because you weren't willing to sacrifice today for the satisfaction of tomorrow. That's what that quote means. And so when we're going to shift our belief systems and begin to share a vocabulary with other people, we want to be mindful that you don't just get to pick and choose when to follow your principles, that you're looking for consistency. And now that I've said you don't get to pick and choose, I'm going back and remembering about the lie about the lost kitty. I'm like, okay, there is opportunity that is subjective to your perspective. I cannot possibly run through all the hypotheticals. But when I say you can't just pick and choose, just don't be flippant about it. Be mindful. If you're going to break one of your principles, then understand what it's being broken for. And then ask yourself, is that congruent with the new person you want to be? Because we chose these new principles, we chose these new morals and ethics and values and opinions and beliefs and all of this jazz, we chose these new standards of habits for a reason. Don't just let an emotional surge shift you off course. Ground yourself, feel into that emotion, and ask yourself, why is it I'm willing to bend this principle right now? If somebody calls you up and they're in tears and you're in the middle of 18 other things, this might be an opportunity to to say, sorry, boss, this is going to come in a little late. My best friend called and they lost their cat. I got to go help them find it. You get to make that decision, but just don't make it flippantly. That's more or less what I was trying to say when you about picking and choosing. Just be grounded and mindful for why you're doing it. Don't allow impulse control and instant gratification to just summon you away from a path you clearly care about. And that takes us back to this idea that you get an opportunity. I still haven't read the leadership one, have I? Oh, you're going to love that one. And that's what I'll wrap up on this one, that you won't necessarily remember today in a week or a month. So make a sacrifice today for the satisfaction of success then. And now we'll bring in August's quote because it's very meaningful. Shout out to you, brother. This meant something when I heard it. I know it'll mean something to you. The main goal of the leader should be to simplify goals and to make expectations clear. 
always try to cut down to the core of the mission and constantly return to that in order to make sure that the whole team is always on the same page. I'm going to put these into the show notes too, so that you guys don't necessarily have to sit there and try to write this down. But he said, the main goal of the leader should be to simplify goals and to make expectations clear, always trying to cut down to the core of the mission and constantly return to that, which again is the core of the mission, in order to make sure that the whole team is always on the same page. And what took me aback, one, that he just so eloquently said, this beautiful definition of a leader, but was that the moment I heard it, I quantified it towards sobriety and recovery. You are your leader. I am part of your team, but you're the leader. Simplify your goals. Make your expectations for yourself clear. Cut down to the core of your mission. I want to be sober. I want to grow myself emotionally. I want to grow myself physically, mentally, spiritually. Cut down to the core of the mission and constantly return to that core of your mission in order to make sure that the whole team is always on the same page. You are your team. Yes, again, I am on the team, but all those hats you're wearing, again, I'm pretty sure that's episode 141. The masks we wear is really also the hats, and I've talked about hats recently too. All those hats you wear, that's all you on your team. I said this to another client recently, like your super highway of life is sobriety and recovery. How many other off-ramps and on-ramps that you create, how many other things that you take on as hobbies or willy-nilly things that you really want to do or just, hey, you know what? I think I'm just going to float away today and enjoy the sunshine and the butterflies and the birds. Whatever it is you're doing, everything goes back and leads back to sobriety and recovery. It is the most important. It is the support beam in your skyscraper. It is the quintessential thing you should be thinking about all the time. Is this supporting my sobriety and recovery? And again, I'm not saying you got to pick and choose, right? We said earlier, you got to pick and choose your principles, but be mindful if you're going to deviate off your path, you're going to take an off-ramp that your on-ramp leads you back to sobriety and recovery. It is the most important thing because with that, everything else around it flourishes. We've already seen, you would not be here listening to a show like this if so, if addiction was working out for you. You're here because you realize that the way you had been leaving, leading your life was taking you down a spiral and abyss of shit. <laughs> or you'd still be doing the things that you were doing. That was your pre-contemplation days. Now you're in contemplation and planning and action and maintenance mode. When you stop realizing that the main goal of everything that you're doing is to get you to a place of stability in your sobriety and recovery and long-term addiction recovery, that's when you start to lapse. That's when the lapse and the relapse that we talk about happens weeks and months and potentially years before it actually happens. And so when we're looking at how we can bring all of these, right? Most belief systems are just a shared vocabulary for people searching for meaning. That principles aren't principles when you pick and choose to follow them. That you won't remember today in a week or a month. So sacrifice today for the satisfaction of tomorrow, of for then. And that leaders, 
They be simplifying. They be. They simplify goals. They set clear expectations. They cut down to the core of the mission. The mission, and they constantly return the team to that core of the mission to make sure everyone is on the same page and on board. Go so brighty! Everybody, take the field. As we begin to say goodbye to 2023 and go into 2024, going back to the New Year's resolution thing I referenced at the beginning, is that when we put a tremendous amount of weight on one day, we really begin to mute out all of the change work we could have been doing leading up to January 1st. There was a really cool article on uh, the Huffington Post, I believe, I don't know, it showed up in my Apple News feed, where this woman was talking about uh, getting everybody to do 30 days in a row of 30 minutes of activity to begin to shift their physical body into a place of you know growth so that by the time January 1st comes around, they've already begun to instill inside themselves um, a more healthy lifestyle. And she's like, really, the new year starts on December 1st. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. I was like, I've been talking about that for like five years now. So awesome to find out that I'm not the only one who thinks that 2024 starts on December 1st, which by the way, is today. So isn't that awesome how that works out? So what we do is that we begin 2024 today. Right now, right now, I know it's like November 30th at 11.06 p.m. But when you hear this, it will be December 1st. And I will try to use present tense words when I discuss this because I'm sort of future pacing here a little, aren't I? So 2024 starts today. 2023 ends February 1st. So we give ourselves a 60-day window. And we do this, and again, if you go back to episode 140, I'm pretty sure 139, it's somewhere back there, 139, 140, we talk about passing this baton. The visualization I want to offer you in order for you to understand why I created this whole system years ago is that when you watch a four by 100 relay, there's a runner, you know, the race starts and that runner, he runs as fast as he can and he's getting ready to pass the baton. He doesn't pass the baton to a runner standing still. Well, that would just, it, it would just not work. One, they might potentially collide. Um, two, that next runner wants to be at pace because this runner coming at him is running like a 10 second, 100 yard dash or a 100, what is it? 100 meters, right? Four by 100, that's a 100 meters. That's coming in super fast, super hot. So passing a baton off to a person standing still would just be dangerous. So there's a zone where the baton gets passed. And as soon as the runner with the baton, we'll call him runner A, steps into that zone, runner B takes off. Now, runner B has to be going a certain speed so that runner A can meet. And in that zone, they have a very specific zone that they are allowed to pass the baton in. Runner B and runner A cannot still be passing the baton outside of that zone. They get disqualified. So runner A is running, and you don't want runner A to slow down. So runner B needs to get up to really their fast, but not 100% fast, right? They're like 80 90%. Put their hand back. Runner A puts the baton in runner B's hand because runner B can't turn around and see it. Runner A is in charge of making sure that baton lands in runner B's hand so he can grip it, and then off. That's December 1st to February 1st. That's your zone. And when you realize that you're giving yourself this 60 days, that 
You don't have to all of a sudden rush the completion of things ending the year. Because oftentimes we start to pile a lot on our plate when October, November runs around as things that we want to achieve in order to finish the year strong. And then we get into December and it's like, I've only got 30 days. You don't. We're going to give yourself another 30 days so that you have an opportunity for 2023 to come to a nice completion. I came up with that part going back to the runner analogy because the runner A, once that baton is passed, doesn't just stop on a dime. They slow down, right? And it takes them a, it takes them five, ten steps before they're able to finally like slow down to a bit of a jog, and then they walk it off. They don't just stop running. They got they their heart rates up through the roof. They don't just stop and sit down and you know have a milkshake. They got to keep their body moving and allow their central nervous system to calm itself down. That's what January first to February first is for 2023. And I just now remembered that I once bought a desk calendar and that desk calendar was a 15 month calendar. And I don't think I realized it at the time. Then again, this just popped into my head, but I remembered how awesome it was that I didn't have to go buy another calendar um, to start putting appointments into January, February, and March. And then I was like, well, why don't I just get like a two year calendar? Cause I'm building some things out months and months and months in advance. And that's what led me to switching over to Google Calendar because I just wanted things to be digitally so I could just put them in and just know there they go. And that's when I realized, I was like, wow, it's really cool not having a calendar end on December 31st because then you got to go buy another calendar and you got to rewrite all this stuff. And then you got to be carrying around two calendars from like, you know, August on because of meetings and appointments being set for February. And I was like, this is just too much. Why, why is the calendar ever end? It should just come nonstop and keep going. Google calendar entered the fray. And then it became this whole philosophy of, well, how can we slowly, but with expedited purpose, begin to close one year and open up another? And so I'm going to close up on this here in a moment because I was teaching this to one of the clients today. And I thought I've mentioned this enough that everybody had fully understood my system I created when I first got sober. And I'm not saying that my system is the end all be all. I'm just simply saying that it's my system. And I've talked about it in like 180 out of 235, 236 episodes. But not all of you have pen and paper whenever you're listening to the show. And sometimes you're listening to me while you're, you know, running or biking or cleaning your house, which is completely understandable. I love the fact that I get your ears at all. So if you have an opportunity or you want to go back and listen to this later, I'm going to quickly run through my sphere and pillar systems so you understand how I organize my life. Now, the beautiful thing about this is that when we first created it, it was me and one of my old NLP friends sitting around trying to figure out how we could organize our lives to know that through NLP, we were actually seeking to achieve the changes that we desired and how we could quantify the changing of ourselves, right? We were seeking changes, but how are we going to know we were actually changing? How am I going to know I'm actually confident? Or how am I going to know that I'm actually more emotionally grounded? Or how am I going to know that my physical fitness is improving? Uh, We wanted a way to quantify it. And I remember a long time ago being introduced to this idea that the three most important things that a human needs to figure out in their life in order to achieve happiness was knowing who they're going to love, what they're going to do, and where they're going to live. Now, whether this is completely factual or not, there are a lot of things a human needs to figure out in their life, but where you're going to live is going to dictate the kind of people you're going to meet and the kind of job that you can have. 
right? The kind of job that you're going to have is very much going to be a requisite idea of like, how are you going to create financial stability? How are you going to be able to do the things that you want to do in life? You've got to be making money. That's the system that was developed a long, long time ago, and they have yet to come up with one that's better. So just get on board with it. Who are you going to love? That's not just your spouse or your partner, but that's definitely your social circle and the people you spend time with. And then where are you going to live? This goes back down to the um, the Dilt's Pyramid and Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, where you start understanding that your skills and your capabilities are very much dictated by your environment. If you want to be a surfer and you live in the mountains, the environment's not helping you there. So where are you going to live? What is it you want to do with your life? You might need to move somewhere else. And it can be challenging, certainly in this economic climate, but in any time period, really, to just pick up your whole life and leave. You need to have a job when you get there. You're going to have to make new relationships when you get there. You're going to have to come up with new habits when you get there. So we, I had this whole philosophy like, okay, if the three most important things in a person's life they need to figure out are who you're going to love, what are you going to do, and where are you going to live? I was like, well, what does that come down to? That's your career. What are you going to do? Who are you going to love? That's your relationships. And where are you going to live? Well, that's yourself. Because if we go by Robert Dilt's pyramid and we go by Maslow's hierarchy of needs, then in order to achieve these things that you want in life, right, then you're going to have to understand how you can grow. And how you can grow is very much going to be dictated by your environment. And your skills and your capabilities and just your emotional resolve are all going to very much be interdependent with your environment. If you're living out in the middle of nowhere country land and you want to have a really fancy schmancy job and live in a penthouse apartment, probably not going to be able to pull that off in Columbus, Indiana. Meanwhile, if you want to own a lot of property and have alpacas in your backyard, probably not going to be able to pull that off living in a penthouse in New York City. So where do you, what are you going to live became self because your environment creates so much about who you are. So that's how I developed career, self and relationship. And if you're taking notes, those are your three spheres, career, self, and relationships. Everything that you want to understand about yourself is going to fall within these three spheres because it's going to, where where are you going to live? Who are you going to love? And what are you going to do? These things clearly matter because so much about your life shifts when you change one of these things. So career, self-relationships are your three spheres. Now, each one of these spheres has four pillars. I came up with these pillars, sitting around talking to Patrick one day, and we were like, well, we hear a lot about mind, body, spirit. But the thing about mind, body, spirit is that spirit is large. Your spirit, there's a lot, at least under my definition of it, there's a lot there. So I was like, okay, well, my mind, body, spirit, clearly mind, that's your mental, and clearly body, that's your physical. I was like, but spirit is trying to hold so much within that one word, within that broad definition of what spirit could be. I was like, well, they're spiritual, right? Not everything that's um, spiritual is religious, but all things that are religious are spiritual. So what is spiritual? Well, that's your morals, your ethics, your values, your opinions, your beliefs, your standards of habits, your principles. That's these underlying belief systems that you have about yourself and the world. That becomes your spiritual. And then there's emotional. So spirit was just too, was too small of a word for emotions and spirit. Just, it was just too small. So I split them apart. 
because emotions are huge. We are emotional mechanisms. We are these emotional machines, we, and we are emotionally unintelligent, not because of our own lack of effort or our, our own, let's say, inconsistencies or inadequacies. We're not necessarily emotionally unintelligent because we're inadequate. It's just that society and the world at large has never really put a whole lot of attention towards our mental health. We come from thousands of years of, you know, just pick yourself up by your bootstraps and scrape yourself off and, you know, boys don't cry and, you know, oh, she cries too much. Nobody knows. When people get uncomfortable around emotions, then they just want all the emotions to shut down. And we just did that for thousands of years. But now we're living in a new world where we want to start understanding our emotions. Brooke Castillo on the, on the life coaching school um, she says that when she talks to her clients about um, those that overeat, she's like, you know, you don't have an overeating problem. You have an underfeeling problem. Now, obviously, we do consume things too much. So there's certainly uh, room for a discussion around the fact that, you know, we could be over drinking and over drugging and overeating and over gambling and over shopping. I mean, we're certainly doing those things. But to her point, it's that we have an underfeeling issue, that we're not feeling into our emotions in a way that allows us to heal them, resolve them, and get grounded. And that's what we're looking for here is a consistency in the feeling of our emotions. This is why I schedule out my days and I make plans because I'm not going to allow a mood swing at 2 p.m. to dictate whether I go to the gym or not. The gym is in the, in the calendar for 2 p.m. That's what I'm doing at 2 p.m. Oh, I'm not in a great mood. This morning was tough. This thing happened or that thing happened. Whatever. Because I'm not going to remember today like I'm experiencing it now in a week or a month. But if I can go to the gym and I can consistently do that, then I will succeed at my goals. It might take a certain amount of time longer or shorter, but either way, it's the consistency that I'm looking for. And because I'm changing and shifting my belief systems about what I think about myself, or what I believe about myself, what I believe about others, then there's a, there's a consistent changing of the guard where I don't have to hold on to every little opinion that I have like it's end-all, be-all. It's like I want to have strong opinions loosely held where I can listen to other people share with me their knowledge, their experiences without being so afraid that, that if they keep talking, they might somehow, you know, get inside my brain and change the way I think. And next thing I know, I'm going to be like all of them other people. No, I'm strong in what I believe in, but I can listen to other people too. And this is what we focus on when we start to discuss physical, emotional, mental and spiritual. Now I know, and you know, from having listened to me hunt for hundreds of episodes, I can meander around some of this stuff. And I love to give a plethora of examples and randomly throw out funny sidebars that you might not think are nearly as funny as I do. But to the point that when you take career, self, and relationships as your three spheres, and you realize that each one of them has the same four pillars of physical emotional, mental, and spiritual. You're able to put these down on paper, get three pieces of paper, and on one paper, write career. On one paper, write self. And on the other paper, write relationships. And then on each one of those papers, write physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. And when you start to do an inventory of your 2023, you can ask yourself, well, what did I achieve? 
What were some of my good accomplishments? What were some small accomplishments? Hey, you know what? I stopped hitting snooze as much as I used to. Hey, you know, instead of having my late night snack at midnight, you know, now I cut it back and I only eat half as much and I eat it at 10 p.m. Find the little things because it's in those little things that we end up getting the big things achieved. Absolutely. You could say, well, I accomplished releasing 10 pounds or I accomplished three months of sobriety. Well, how did you accomplish three months of sobriety? How did you accomplish releasing 10 pounds? Because it was in those day-to-day actions that we can begin to celebrate the tiny little one-inch incremental movements forward that showed us the most amazing amounts of prosperity. There's a new neighborhood being built next to my neighborhood. And each day I get to go over there and watch, you know, oh, they laid a new part of the cement foundation. Oh, they built another part of the framing for the house. Oh, they built another, you know, the back area framing. Oh, they laid down some new water pipes. Oh, they, you get to watch these tiny little day-by-day incremental changes. And what was just, you know, a red dirt field four months ago has now beginning to sprout up little houses like they're plants, like they're growing. I get to see it day-by-day. Now, somebody who hasn't seen that field in five months and drives by it today is going to be like, wow, that was a forest five months ago. And now look, there's 10 houses almost done being built. To them, it looks like overnight success. Wow, that's incredible. I wasn't there when I last was here. And now look, it's there. But for me, I'm seeing those tiny little incremental changes. Each day, those workers show up with their nail guns and their shovels, and they do the work they got to do in order to move the neighborhood forward in the completion of that project. That's your life. You're there day by day. You're there with the nail gun. You're there with the hammer. You're there with the screwdriver. You got to put in the work day by day in order to build up your own neighborhood of life. And you do it by concentrating on your career, yourself, and your relationships and finding where within your pillars, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, you're not happy where you're at. If you think, you know what, my job's cool and all, but man, I just, I'm just tired of sitting there all day looking at a computer. But, you know, I mean, I really like the emotional support I get there that's consistently challenging me. The company has the same belief system I does and or I do, and they, they really follow the same morals and ethics and values that I believe in. But I'm just sitting behind the computer all day long, and it's just, I'm just tired of sitting. I would be like, okay, to a client, I'd very easily be able to say, that's your career sphere and that's your physical pillar. That's the part you're unhappy with. Is there a way to talk to your job and ask them if they get you a stand-up desk? Could you take on another role there that allowed you to be able to have more freedom of movement? Uh, One of the students that I'm teaching NLP to right now, uh, well, not yet, but anyways, that's digress. He's doing it in the spring. Is that he was unhappy with the managerial role that he had. So he asked him, he moved over to sales. He likes the company. He likes what they stand for. He likes the people that he works with. He just wanted a different role. He wanted to be able to get out of the office and go meet people and do some cool stuff. So that's what he did. If somebody comes to me and they're like, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm pretty happy with my body, but God, I just, I have these emotional surges and I yell at people in my family and it's just, God, you know, I just wish I didn't do that. Okay. Your self-emotional quadrant, that room in your mind, that part of your little mental neighborhood, that's where we can be working on. See, you live inside your mind. You have this McMansion and each one of these rooms is in there. 
and it's made up of your career self-relationship sphere and your physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. If you take four pillars times three spheres, you get 12. I know you didn't think you were going to learn math today, but I like to keep you on your feet. Am I on my toes? This is what I've utilized since like month three. And it's now here for the taking. I even created a whole book about it once called The Life. It was called The Life's Blueprint. Um, it never really even made publication as I was so unhappy with the way that I wrote it. But it was the first time I ever wrote a book and I'm not surprised that it wasn't thrilling. But it's something that I'm going to relaunch in 2024 and it will be a free resource for all of you who listen to the show. But you can begin to do this now. Sit down and ask yourself, what is it that you achieved physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually within your career self-relationship spheres? And where could you see more improvement moving into 2024? Remember, we're, there's no failure here. We're looking for feedback. So if something didn't quite meet your expectations, if something didn't quite feel right as you're closing out this year, realize that here comes the next year. There's always another day. There's always another sunrise. We just don't want to put so much pressure on one sunrise over any others that it, it feels like we've already failed before we even tried. And that's what happens when people go off and put a ton of weight on January 1st. They, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start running 10,000 steps and I'm going to start doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that. And then one week into it, the things start to slide off Right? And then they feel like a failure rather than seeing it for a feedback opportunity that it is. Oh, maybe I tried to make too many changes on one day. How can I slowly instigate these changes over the course of a longer period of time so they actually have an opportunity to instill as a new habit? I said enough, didn't think of it in a million years I'd be on the microphone for an hour tonight, but I guess I sort of set myself up for that by cheerleading this whole episode on for the first 30 minutes. But we're closing up a year. I get excited. Obviously, I love teaching this kind of stuff, but we've covered a lot and we've covered a lot. And what I want you to be able to take away from this episode is that you are your leader. Your core mission is sobriety and recovery. It's healing yourself. All the things that you do lead back to you. And you want to be the one who looks in the mirror and says, today is the day that I did something to move the needle forward. Again, we're not looking for you to be an accomplishment machine. But if you don't do push-ups very often and you said, you know what, I should do a push-up today. Do one push-up. That's one push-up more than you would have done if you did no push-ups. When you seek to begin to change your belief systems, and shifting your vocabulary, and shifting your principles, and shifting your habits, and your morals, and your ethics, and your values, and shifting these things about yourself, that's showing yourself that you are capable of leading yourself. And yes, you're creating a team, and I'm potentially one of those people on it. But at the end of the day, you're the only one standing there looking at yourself in the mirror. You're the only one you really can truthfully answer to, because you're the one who's always with you. You are the one in charge of anything that you want to be able to achieve in your life. Your past is your past. And it is whatever it is. How you seek to make meaning of your past today will have a very heavy determination on how you feel today and what you think about yourself tomorrow. There's no time like the present 
to heal the past, to be able to become that person you want to be in the future. I can sit here and cheerlead and I can pump you up and I can make silly little jokes and I could pace back and forth for an hour in my office looking at this Einstein picture as I try to think of something cool to say off the top of my head and I can rub this little stuffed animal of a bee or the turtle over here in the corner and I can do whatever I can do to get you excited about sobriety and recovery, but it's up to you to take the action to actually feel that motivation within to continue on even when the going gets rough, tough, and bumpy. It's the best decision I've ever made for myself. And would I have preferred not to have gone through 22 years of suffering? Yeah, sure. But this is the path I'm on. So I'm going to make the best of it now. And so can you. If you'd like to know more about this, if you'd like to reach out and give me a shout out from sobriety to recovery at Gmail is your place to reach out to me. I check it at least a couple times a week. As always, I'm available on Instagram or the TikTok. I still do check that. I don't do social media as well as I could uh, or can or will or won't. I don't know. I'm going to use power language there and say it is whatever it is. It's social media. It's a disposable trend waiting to happen. What's more important to me is the time we spend here together. And if you'd like to let me know how this show is positively affecting you, a topic you'd like to hear more about, or maybe you just want to talk shit to me and tell me I suck and I talk too long and I could make this whole episode 10 minutes if I was just more succinct, feel free to say whatever you'd like to say. Find me at from sobriety recovery at Gmail on any of my socials or go to jessemogul.com slash ask me and tell me what's up. As always, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine and Robert. Glow on. We will see you next time. Bye-bye.